Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'm Mark and Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. It's been a while. It's been a long time coming, but finally... We're back with a, one of our crossover episodes. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Tom Canton uh, from the Guna Talk TV. Uh, Tom's back from his honeymoon, looking refreshed, back on the 8 a.m. shows. How you been, mate? Long time no speak. Yeah, not bad, thanks, mate. Um, all good. Although the, the, I feel like the lighting doesn't do me justice. I feel like I put on a little bit of colour, but but barely anything. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I can change the light. If I put it on to that one, I look a little bit more tanned, but I'm using this one and I look completely pale. Maybe we'll switch it to that one and it'll look a little bit better. <laughs> are you are you a sun lover or are you one of those people that avoids it? Yeah, I, I am a winter boy. Like my missus loves summer. Like she hates winter because she's got um, you know what Reynolds is like, where your end of your fingers and toes get like really numb when you get really cold because okay, they lose like yeah. circulation. So she hates the winter. Um, whereas I'm like you know more football. Uh, I love a cold bed rather than a warm bed. Um, I don't like the light getting me up in the mornings in the summer. You know, I, I really prefer the winter. I mean, are you summer or, or winter? What's your I'm preference? Summer all the way, mate. I can't stand the winter. <laughs> I just hate the idea of being cold. Like people moan about the heat, and look, there are times when it's unbearable and you're uncomfortable and it's a mm. bit sticky and all of that. But I'm actually one of these weird people that likes to sleep on top of the covers rather than in them. So if I can do that, uh, sort mm. of because the weather's warm, then then I prefer that. And uh, yeah, I just I feel like I'm in a better mood when it's summer. I wake up, I look outside, there's light. It gets me out of bed. It gets me going. When it's winter, I mean, this morning it was dull outside. And <laughs> I had to get up and take yeah. the little one to school, and I was like, "Do I really want to do this?" Uh, so no, definitely a winter guy. Uh, can't uh, can't say anything otherwise. Um, Tom, let's kick off by sort of basking in the glory from the North London derby the other day. We've done it a few times this week, but I think we're allowed to do it for at least a absolutely. Week. It's fair. Um, what were your overriding kind of feelings on the game and on the performance and, and on kind of the fallout from that? Because I feel like a lot of sort of people outside of Arsenal circles are starting to take us a hell of a lot more seriously, having come through that latest, shall we call it, test. Mm, yeah, I mean, we've still not beaten anyone above us, Harry, to be fair. Um, you know, <laughs> so so we got to wait for one of those tests to come along at some stage, if it ever will. But yeah, I think that this game was always pegged to be a bit of, you know, two teams that are at the top of the table. I think a lot of people would kind of observe that Tottenham hadn't particularly been playing that amazingly yet, still picking up points, which 
some people use as a, a tagline for a sign of a team that are actually better than the sum of their parts. And I think a lot of people were kind of tipped Arsenal to be a side that are playing at the maximum of their abilities. But actually, I kind of looked at Arsenal still as a team that have got several gears to go. And I think they put that into practice. I definitely think the performance was of a team that had so much motivation to try and win it. I love the fact that we didn't necessarily tailor the way that we were going to play knowing Spurs' strengths. I don't want to be in a position where we're only looking at the opposition. I want to be in a position where Arsenal playing where... They know where their strengths are. They play no matter what. And yes, we were opened up a few times, as is going to happen. I don't think you're ever going to have a game, unlike the Bournemouth game earlier this season, where you know you really do end up shutting out somebody for the whole 90 minutes, really. But against teams like Spurs, that's not going to happen. So you might as well just play the way that you know you're comfort, uh, confident doing uh, and ultimately come out as a winner. But yeah, I think people definitely have responded to this on the most part, seeing Arsenal as yeah, definitely a, a threat alongside City this season. What's all this talk about Tottenham deserving something from the game? I've come across multiple clips on social media. I've read uh, certain articles, certain stories. Um, and it, it drives me mad that people are wanting to give Tottenham credit or trying to essentially downplay what we did by saying, well, they had openings. The last time I checked, an opening wasn't worth a goal. Yeah. Uh, uh, look, Spurs are the darlings uh, of the media at times, you know. So there's got to be. Shit? I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, we're Arsenal. So I think, you know, there's always this kind of. I think part of the fact is they've got England captain as the striker. I think that's part of it. Um, I think that Spurs have always had quite a number of players in the England squads. Um, they've had a lot of, obviously, England legends down the years uh, as well. Um, so there's just kind of this overall liking of them. They're always seen a bit as underdogs as well. You know, that British kind of nature of loving an underdog story. Um, I think that comes into it too. And because Arsenal have got history of being a dominant force in English football, you know, it's not always fanciful to, to like Arsenal. I mean, historically, Arsenal aren't very well liked anyway, you know, amongst not only the media, but across the country. So... I think that there is that and there's always this kind of need to undermine Arsenal and in this case that would be trying to show that Spurs deserve potentially more than they actually did which was very very little yes they created what you would describe earlier as openings but openings don't win games <laughs> you know goals win games and it wasn't only goals that won this you know there are games where teams score more goals than the opposition but they've had like 30% possession that doesn't mean necessarily they deserve to win and you look at the Manchester United game earlier this season Man United didn't deserve to win that game 3-1 by any stretch of the imagination but it was the way in which we obviously were naive and created mistakes for ourselves that, that opened that but for this game Arsenal were deserved victors and Spurs will not as some have described it and, and shouldn't be described as a team that will rue mistakes or rue an opportunity missed. Arsenal were great and they won because they were great. And it was as simple as that. I don't want to spend like too much time talking about Spurs because this is an Arsenal podcast <laughs> and nobody wants to hear that. But I do want to kind of touch on their kind of game model just quickly, because it feels to me like they're a team who go into games with very little margin for error based on the way they want to play. So what I mean by that is, they can't afford to concede because mm. their sort of you know their their game plan is based around making it difficult for people and the minute you do concede early on especially your that game plan goes out the window and you have to then change your approach especially in fixtures with the likes of arsenal then you've got you know situations where they do get forward but because they're not playing in a very offensive and and sort of open way the chances that they create are limited. So they're relying on Kane and Son, who normally are, to be fair, to be incredibly efficient in front of goal. It just feels like it's a really 
flimsy game plan. Would you agree mm. with that? Yes, uh, to an extent. I think there is a flimsy game plan in the sense that look, when it comes to Arsenal, anyone that comes up against Arsenal, the only way that you're going to beat them is on the counter. That's the only way you're beating Arsenal. Um, and so, and I think actually what's interesting is unless maybe you're Manchester City, because I think in that game, you're going to see Arsenal obviously have far less possession than maybe we have to on the counter. Who knows? We don't know. We haven't, we'll have to wait around until, you know, next year until it happens. But for Spurs, the only way they were going to win that game at the weekend was by hitting us on the counter and taking their chances. They weren't going to press us. They weren't going to dominate us. There was nothing about that. So flimsy, flimsy in kind of a game plan. I, I don't, it was Spurs you were talking about being kind of flimsy, right? In, in the yeah, sense yeah. that, in yeah, that, yeah, in like it's 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 like built on a house of cards. Like if one thing, like I watched him at the weekend, and I thought if they don't keep us out in the first half an hour, I mm. don't see how they get anything from this game. But if yeah. they do, then great, you know, for them, for that, from their perspective, I, I think that's the way they set out to operate. Like the minute they go behind. It's not about counterattacking anymore, is it? Because you could quite easily, we wouldn't, because we're mm. not that type of side. But other sides would probably go, right, right we're one nil up now. We'll sit back. You bring the game to us. And I don't think Tottenham are very good at doing that on the road, mm. especially. And I think that if you look at kind of the two clubs in terms of like a case study, Spurs, as Hanks points out in the chat box, you know, Spurs have finished above us for the last, what, six, seven seasons. Um, and the thing is, I wouldn't trade kind of the the positions necessarily because those six years have, have won them nothing. They've not achieved anything in that time. And I wouldn't trade the position that we have got into based upon the journey both teams have gone over the last six years. Arsenal have gone through some really awful times, worse times than Spurs have in those six years. But the way in which those two teams played the North London derby is the perfect example of why Arsenal were absolutely right to go down the pathway of going for a project rather than a win now, worry about what happens in the future later. Because Spurs are going to see the detriment of that, probably at the end of this season or maybe even earlier if Antonio Conte moves on, which I'm expecting him to. And when you look at specifically where Arsenal are moving, it's in a progression. It's in arresting a slide that happened previously, moving to a position where we, at the start of Arteta's tenure, played defensive football. It was bland. It was horrible. But it was to secure up our defence, which was leaking far too many goals. Now we've added gradual quality. We're going into these games against Spurs as a dominant side, creating loads of chances with world-class players like uh, Gabriel Jesus, etc., Thomas Partey, and potentially William Saliba. And now we're looking at a position where we're going into a Liverpool game where I'm expecting us to be the team that should win that game. I look at that game and go, Arsenal should win. Now, if you look at Spurs against Liverpool, in any of those six seasons, even at their peak, I'm not looking at them at this season or six years ago and going, they're going into a game against Liverpool where they should win. But Arsenal have got themselves into a position where they're going into a game against Liverpool as, as, as in my opinion, favourites for that game. Whether that happens or not, and then whether we win that game or not is, second, is you know, is a, is a different discussion. But for me, we're going into that game as a side now that should win. And that is hugely evident of the progression that we've done over the last six years. Am I the only one that feels like because we beat Spurs, I would be quite content with a point against Liverpool coming up a this weekend? A point against them is, is something we've not managed to do in some time. You know, we did get that win at home um, where I think Nelson and Lacazette scored um, in that game. Was it 2-0 that game or was it 2-1? A 
can't quite remember the score. I think it might have even been 2-0. Um, I think it was, yeah. Because I think they'd already won the title at that stage. That was Because I'm pretty sure that's the season they won the league. So that kind of res- anomaly result where, you know, it was a, a weird kind of comp- lack of competitiveness game. We just haven't been able to take points off Liverpool in the league. We've just not been able to do it. And so we, for me, in this game, should, as I say, be looking to try and win it. But we also have to be respectful of the fact that Liverpool are still a very good team. You know, they were dominant in their game against Rangers. They've beaten Bournemouth, you know, 9-0 this season. They are a team that have a lot of quality. And the front four they played yesterday with Jota and Nunez and Diaz and Salah, you know, there's world-class players galore in that side. So they are dangerous. I'm not saying that I'm going into this game as favourites. I'm not going into this game as saying we should win with arrogance. It's not about that. It's about the fact that Arsenal have elevated themselves to a position where they can go into a home game against Liverpool. And I feel as though we should be going in now as favourites at this point of both teams in their form. But you can't disregard what the quality they still have and they can still hurt us. And so that's why I think you're fair to say, you know, you would you potentially would take a point from two games against Spurs and Liverpool. So I, I think that we should be aiming for six, though, personally. Yeah, obviously you, you want to go out there and you want to try and get six. Mm. And Liverpool, you know, they got their victory in the Champions League last night. It wasn't the best Liverpool performance. I think they were good, but I think they were playing against a, a fairly average Rangers side who were only there really to do one thing and that was to try and shut Liverpool out. Um, I do wonder about that balance that you mentioned there with the sort of, it was more of a 4-2-3-1 for Liverpool last night and I wonder if Jurgen Klopp has got the cojones, shall we say, to do that for a stadium give. Oh, your microphone's gone, Harry, just for a second. There we go. I think There you go. <laughs> there we go. Love that. Um, you're just saying, like, I, I we talked about the kind of different formation, or we touched on the different formation that Liverpool went with uh, against Rangers in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if Jurgen Klopp has the cojones, essentially, to come to Emirates Stadium and play that same way, or if he'll revert back to what's worked so well over the years. Either way, I feel like we've got a big advantage in that midfield area. We're going to have to be aware of the transition again, like we were uh, against Spurs. But I think, you know, the percentages are kind of in your favour. If you're the ones that dominate the ball, you're the ones that control the play. And I'm hoping we can impose ourselves on a on a still very good Liverpool side, despite mm-hmm. what's going on at the moment. Um, quick uh, shout out to Craig. Uh, thank you so much, mate, for your very, very kind Super Chat donation. Really, really appreciate it. He says, wow, look at this crew. Uh, Big Harry and TC. Hope you guys are well. TC's actually bigger than me. He's taller than me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, going for a comfortable 4-0 win tomorrow. Yeah, we're going to come on to talk Bodo Glimt in uh, just a few minutes' time because, of course, Arsenal returned to Europa League action in what feels like... It's, it feels like it's been an absolute age since that Zurich game because, <laughs> oh, no, yeah. obviously, the PSV one was postponed. Um, but before we turn our attentions to that, I just want to get your thoughts on the latest around Bukayo Saka's contract. A lot of noise about this, a lot of talk about this. Um, my colleague at 90 Min, Graham Bailey, says that Arsenal were growing concerned uh, over Manchester City's alleged interest in the player. I mean, I I don't really know that there's anything to be stressed about right now with Saka's contract situation as it is and the fact that, by all accounts, talks are at least underway. Uh, Football Insider have claimed today that an agreement in principle has been reached, uh, which is worth nearly 
thousand pounds a week, and that would be a five-year deal. Um, what's your understanding, first of all, of the Saka mm. contract situation, and what's your, your, I guess, your instinct or your feeling around it all? Yeah, I, I can't say that I can. Um, what's the right words? I can't say that I know. I, I've heard is, is what Graham's claiming about that. Uh, from my perspective, it's been very much from an Arsenal side of things that they are confident that Saka will sign a new deal. They've been confident for a long time um, on you know a monetary side of things, on a commitment from the player side of things. He's never shown any kind of interest in you know delaying things or you know um, entertaining potential interest from elsewhere. From my perspective, it's always been, and from the lines that I've always heard, is that Arsenal have been confident for some time that he will sign a new deal. It doesn't mean that a deal will happen tomorrow. And this in, this report from Footy Insider, obviously, is their information, you know, the fair play to them if they've, they've managed to get that and, and they believe that they're, that Saka is indeed close to agreeing that deal. They, I think they claim something around, it would be a £10 million, something like that, um, a year deal, which would be around 50-odd million quids total across those five years. So you're looking at about close to £200,000 per week, uh, which, to be honest, you know, if you're thinking about Arsenal's top earners, you've got Gabriel Jesus, I think, on 220-ish. You've got Partey on about 200-ish. Um, and then I think Saka going in and around those or just below those makes sense for the position that he holds in the team. Yes, he's a lot younger than, uh, especially Partey, and, and several years younger than, than Jesus. But when you're of that kind of level and you're that kind of you know starting player, it doesn't matter what age you are really in that sense. To secure a player's long-term future, you have to invest in them. You have to show them that you know you are being leaned upon. I don't look at this as kind of the Abamyang or the Urzel situations where we put a lot of money on those guys because they were towards the end of their kind of peak, whereas Saka's nowhere near his so far. So it's worth that investment to secure that player. Um, but yeah, I can't. I can't say that you know Arsenal are said to be concerned about City. They're very focused on securing um, Saka down to a, a long-term deal, and are said to be confident in that sense. I was having this debate with uh, with Sophie yesterday because we we done a show together and we were talking a little bit about Bukayo Saka, his season so far. What have you made of his season so far? Because there is there is this narrative sort of doing the rounds that okay, he's still been good there's still more to come from Bukayo Saka. Like, it hasn't really clicked or shifted up into fifth gear uh, up until this point. And I tend to agree with that. Like, there could be more from Saka based on what we know he's capable of. But I still think he's been efficient. I still think he's been effective. And I wonder if just the fact that you've got Jesus and Martinelli in that side has maybe taken some of the focus off of the good work that he's doing. What was your kind of outlook on this? Yeah, I actually use your analogy that we did on Sophie's show at the start of the season, which was talking about, you know, with Jesus coming in, that would take kind of um, pressure, I suppose, off Saka. But actually, I think whilst that was an absolutely fair prediction, ironically, what we've seen is that teams are still putting two or three players on Saka. And that's actually opening up more space for Jesus and Martinelli. Hence why I think those two have got more goals this season and why Saka's got more assists than both of them this season. I think that teams are naive in that sense. If you're going to put two or three players on Saka, arguably he's the least dangerous of the three in terms of goal scoring. You know, I think Jesus and Martinelli hold more goal scoring potential. Even though Saka got more goals than Martinelli last season, I think that still was down to the fact that just the way we played so much through our right-hand side last year. And actually this season, there's so much threat coming from all over the field that we've got that additional threat. Zinchenko coming in, Xhaka uh, being as good as he's on the left-hand side. Our left-hand side supporting Martinelli has been so much better. And I think Jesus 
that kind of collaborativeness with with Martinelli in particular has definitely leveled him up. So no, I'm not. I, I don't buy into the Saka has been poor. Saka has been quiet. I think there are reasons behind that. I think if you watch the games and watch how the oppositions have marked him, I think there's reasons why he's been marked out of games. But we've benefited from that through Jesus and Martinelli being given more space to operate in. And I think Arteta's identified that. And so that's why he's not really changed too much about the way in which we're approaching games and we're a full position. So yeah, it, it, perhaps it's just a kind of a short-sightedness, I suppose, in some senses to think that Saka's not been that great. I mean, do you do you kind of see what I'm saying? Do you think that he has actually just been more or less marked out of game sometimes and that's enabled the others in the front line to, to prosper? Yeah, I do think that there's a, a massive emphasis on on sort of marking him and and sort of trying to quieten him down, um, you know, when opposition come up against us. I think that Martin Odegaard is someone who also suffers from that as well, in that when we go into a game, people look at him and go, he's the tempo setter, he's the creator let's shut him down let's shut the supply down to him and actually what we've seen on the other side is that granite jacker has stepped into that eight role on the other side got into those areas into those half spaces and then been able to punish sides and he's probably benefited from odegaard being the focus as well so that's the great thing about being balanced about having threat in lots of different areas of the pitch because nobody can keep everybody quiet and um and that's what it's you know has been really encouraging to see Again, look, I don't think Saka's been bad. I think he's been good. I think he's been effective, as I said. But I do think there's more to come from him. I think we saw a glimpse of it in the second half against Spurs. I mm. thought he was just a little bit more aggressive in the second half. I know patience was probably high up the agenda going into that Spurs game, knowing that they were going to sit back, knowing that we were worried about the threat on the break and that we had to be responsible with possession a little bit more. So, you know, there were times where I thought maybe he could cut in and have a shot. Maybe he could pick up the ball and run at someone and be a bit more aggressive. And instead, he opted to check the ball back inside. That was ultimately how the Partey goal came about, right? It was into to Ben White, layoff to, to Partey, and there you go. But I thought in the second half, particularly the start of the second half, where the Gabriel Jesus goal came about, he was much more aggressive and I think as well, having Ben White, who seems to be more frequently now than ever making those runs on the overlap, gives him that bit of room to go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to use you as a decoy and I'm going to drive in. So I, I just think his game is changing a little bit mm -hmm. because of the rest of the weapons we have. He, he doesn't need to be as individualistic, I guess. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on goals and assists for obvious reasons. Um, actually, the way in which you're playing and results matter far more than the number of goals individuals are scoring and the number of assists individuals are scoring. I think that's what Erdegaard often falls foul of. You know, everyone rates Bernardo Silva as this ridiculously world-class player. Do you know why? Because he is. He is that good. But last season, you look at his numbers compared to Erdegaard and they're the finest of margins in terms of difference between each other. And that's during a season that a lot of people wanted to see Erdegaard score more and assist more. And they're playing very similar roles of creativity. We don't really have a Kevin De Bruyne-style player in our team. And that's because there's more emphasis on, on the front three doing a lot of the work. And I think that that's fine if you've got a player like Erdegaard, who is a bit of an orchestrator and a conductor. And Saka kind of faces this similar problem where his creativity sometimes draws a conversation around is he scoring enough goals? 
we don't need him to be challenged to score more goals if goals aren't being a problem for us. This season, yeah. we're scoring plenty and we're scoring enough to win the, the you know, the every game bar one so far this year. And we should have, to be honest, going to Man United. You know, we went one up in that game thanks to a brilliant finish from Gabriel Martinelli, which should have stood. And then the goal that we did score was because of an Odegaard pass through the middle that forced the opportunity for Saka to then score. So we're still talking about those situations where players aren't necessarily being appreciated as much. But it frustrates me still because I do think there is an element of doubt around Mikel Arteta. And because of Mikel Arteta signing a player like Martin Odegaard or putting Saka into the squad over a player like Nicolas Pepe, these types of scenarios often get used as a bit of a stick to beat Arteta with unnecessarily. I don't know if you found this. I don't necessarily find it in my chat books because I've probably blocked half the trolls by this stage. But I still find, especially when I jump on to, say, the lounge on Monday nights or I was with Lee Judges TV on the other night, there is still yet people kind of trying to undermine decision-making processes of this season, even though we're seeing so much success at the start of this campaign. I mean, what do you do you find it as well? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think there are people who, you know, have opinions and, and that's fair. Like, you can have an opinion on what you think works better. But I think the way you go about pushing that opinion should be dependent on what's going on in terms of results. Mm. And ultimately, you might not agree with the route, but we're getting the success at the moment. So I think you can make those points and you can be critical in that you think that in if you were in that position, you'd do it differently. But ultimately, the results are there. The performances are there as well, which is, for me, just as encouraging as the results. Like, to, to be winning games, but winning them the way we're winning them, holds so much more value than to have been winning games in the way that Spurs have been winning them, for example, because eventually that becomes unsustainable and eventually that begins to grind on people. I mean, Antonio Conte has been, I, I don't want to take it back to Spurs, but he's been sort of digging out individual players. Did you hear the comments around Doherty where he said, you know, like he was asked about him playing and he kind of then followed on by saying something like, I'm not yeah. stupid, I'm going to lose. And I have the exact quote actually, because he talks about Jed yeah. Spence as well in the same quote. He says, um, it was actually our colleague at FL, uh, Alistair Gold, who asked the question. He was asking about kind of, you know, why are you not playing Spence? Why is Emerson still playing? And he says, the fans have to be fans. The fans are the fans. I understand they can think everything, but I see every day what happens during the training sessions. I try to do the best for the team. If they trust me, then they trust me. But the choices are mine. If I didn't decide to pick one player, it's maybe because he's not ready. We are talking about a young player with a good prospect but I repeat I try to be I try to pick the best team and then he goes on to say also Doherty last season played every game now I'm not seeing him in the right way to start the game I'm not stupid I don't want to lose and you're like how can you throw your players on the bus and at the same time do you remember at the start of Arteta's tenure when Nicola Pepe got that red card against Leeds mm -hmm. Arteta threw Pepe under the bus in the post-match press conference something that he has not done since that point besides the whole Aubameyang controversy which I think is in itself kind of this separate controversy that I think we were all understanding of the situation. I think it was unfair on Pepe in that moment because Pepe was wound up and he should have been protected in the post-match press conference. But I think Arteta's learned from that and now he yeah. approaches his press conferences in a very different way. I'm not the biggest fan of Arteta in press conferences as a journalist because he's not very warm in press conferences at all. He's, he doesn't want to give too much away. There is a sense from my perspective that sometimes he could be a little bit more elaborative, if that's even a word, you know, with, with the, some of the exams, answers that he sometimes provides. But yeah, I, I think that he's kind of, uh, maybe he feels burned from his early answers that have been widely criticised and now he's kind of gone into his shell a bit regarding some answers to try and protect more of his players and more of his team. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I don't think he's very um, he's very open in press conferences. I think mm. he's, and as you say, I think at the beginning of his tenure, maybe emotion took over at certain points, and and he did things and said things that maybe in hindsight he would have wanted to to sort of cancel out, if you like. But I think now what you see from from Arteta is somebody who is just so focused on on sort of keeping that that morale up within the group that he's just essentially not interested in giving anything away that could potentially give secrets to an opposition. So team news, I don't know if you found this. I found making previews this season an absolute effing nightmare because Mikel Arteta never gives you team news. He doesn't mm. give you anything. It's always, mm. you know, well, we've got one more training session. Now. <laughs> you know, we're going to assess the players. They've just finished training two minutes ago. We're going to assess them. There's never any sort of giveaway on that. So that makes it difficult, but obviously it keeps the opposition guessing. Mm. And I think you're right. I think he's learned from his earlier experiences. I think he looks at that group and says, this is my group now. This is my team and I'm going to protect them now. I don't think he was always willing to protect certain people who he felt were essentially throwing him under a bus by not performing or by not uh, keeping their heads and stuff. So yeah, um, interesting stuff, but you're right. He's a, he's a journalist nightmare, but as long as he wins football matches, none of us really care, uh, mm. to be honest. Um, let's just uh, take a, a quick super chat and then we're going to focus our attention on the game against Bodo Glimt, which comes up uh, tomorrow night at Emirates Stadium. Uh, Sam says uh, they should do a best collaboration uh, for the football awards. If they did, this would win. Sam, thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, it's always a pleasure chatting Arsenal. Uh, with Tom. Uh, Tom's going to be at the game tomorrow. I'm going to be at the game tomorrow as well. Hopefully uh, we catch each other. Mm. Um, how are you feeling going into this game? I mean, I'm pretty confident, but do you see this as, uh, this is going to sound really horrible and maybe a little bit arrogant because of the opponent, but do you feel like this is a bit of a pain in the ass given we've got Liverpool at the weekend? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There is this argument that the Europa League in itself, not just this game, can be a distraction. I think the games against PSV are going to be more competitive. PSV are a very good team. But at the same time, Buddy Glimp took a point away from PSV. And Buddy Glimp's have got a record of taking points against big sides in the last couple of seasons while they've been in Europe. So they are no mugs and we shouldn't underestimate them. But it is in that same sense a bit of a frustration to have this game right before Liverpool. However, you could flip it and you could say that this is an opportunity to not only give players minutes that aren't necessarily getting minutes and they need them, but to build up more momentum from that Spurs game. You know, mm -hmm. a, a weak gap between two games sometimes can feel like too much, especially for players. So there's an opportunity to continue to build that momentum. That's why for me, I'm, I'm starting Gabriel Jesus in my lineup for this game. Part, okay. of that bleed, part of that actually bleeds into the fact he's got four yellow cards, so he's going to miss a Premier League game at some stage, so I kind of want to keep giving him minutes. I don't see him as a real injury risk. I mean, obviously, go watch him do his ACL tomorrow, of course, now I've said that, but you know, I don't necessarily look at him as a player that's, that's got a poor injury record at all, so I'm not worried about fitness. I'm kind of more worried about not having momentum, and I think Liverpool have managed to use that game against Rangers to turn things a bit for them and use that to go into the game with more momentum, so I feel like we can make a statement in tomorrow's game, win well, win big, and, and go through that i was actually talking to someone left a comment on my preview show i did from an account called no context uh bodo glimpse i think it was no context glimpse was the account and they were like you're all in for a big shock on thursday and so i messaged an account on twitter that was obviously the same asking if that was there and it turned out that they was and you know they've they've said it'll be a fun match considering kind of where 
but a glimpse are. Um, and, and the thing is that they kind of always play like this kamikaze style of football and they could easily end up like, I suppose, Bielsa lead style. They could end up losing massively, but they can also shock and you don't really know what you're going to get from this side. They just don't really give up. You know, they absolutely go for teams. So we've got to be wary of that. It's not going to be like Zurich, you know. I think it's going to be far different. And to be honest, we kind of muddled through that Zurich game a little bit. So if we are going to make big changes, which there is an expectation, we'll make a fair number of changes. I genuinely expect Bodo to to threat us because they will and they are a decent side. Let's uh, let's just take this one quickly from Ash. Uh, thank you for your very kind donation. She says, Bodo are a Norwegian Brighton. Uh, very well run. Um, okay, let's 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 talk lineup then. Let's mm. talk lineup. Um, hold on a second. Here we go. Let me bring this up on the screen. They've changed this, the option on StreamYard. That threw me off for a second. Uh, okay, oh, yeah, so like present or something. Yeah, yeah present. Yeah. That's it. So uh, here we go. This is um, this is our team for the game. Mm. Um, I started to pick my team and I got to ten players, but I can't think of. Or I can't decide on the eleven. <laughs> okay. So let's let's work our way through this collaboratively. Mm. Um, well, we've been the award for that apparently. So you know we yeah, should do it <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, would you agree that Matt Turner should start in goal? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. So that's a given. So Matt Turner's our goalkeeper. What are you thinking back four wise? Back four, I've gone for Cedric, Holding, Tomiyasu and Tierney are my back four. That is exactly the same as mine. So we're we in go. agreement No debates about that. Lovely Cedric. stuff. Holding. Holding. Tomiyasu playing, of course, where he plays for Japan. So that shouldn't be too much of a problem, him being there. Would you, would you consider playing them the other way around, maybe? Or holding left and Tomiyasu right. Yeah. I mean, Holding has played there. Yeah. Uh, I think that Holding Cedric is weak. You know, on our right-hand side, that that's why there's an argument. I think to move Tomiyasu maybe where right. holding is. Yeah, yeah I don't think that balance. will happen. Yeah, potentially it's more balance. I think there's more in terms of quality balance there is, but I don't think that's what will happen. I think holding will start right, and I think Tomiyasu because when Gabriel went down injured, I think it was uh, it wasn't holding that was warming up. You know, it was it was Tomiyasu that was warming up. So yeah. they st- I think they see him as a potential left foot, left side of the centre. He's, he's uh, what's the word? Ambipedal. I think uh, he can use both feet. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think too much is made of that. <laughs> I, I really do. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. I think I think he's got the competence to clear a ball or whatever with his other foot or play a mm. simple pass to the point where I don't think he worries too much about which way he tries to escape from certain situations. But I don't think he's like someone who's like Santi Cazorla, who's going to put the ball on a sixpence. Like I actually think this might be controversial that when Tommy Asu gets into the final third, I don't really think he knows what to do with it. I don't really think he's got that composure and then that ability to to play the pass that maybe should be played in the way that Ben White has shown. Like, I just think Ben White is technically much more gifted. And so the whole two-foot thing, I think it's a bit of a, I don't know, I don't want to call it a myth, but I feel like it too much is made of it sometimes. Is that unfair? <sighs> maybe a bit. I mean, I, I can always appreciate, I think maybe it's because one of my favourite players ever is Santi Cazorla. So I can always appreciate a player with that's, that's two-footed. You know, Perisic in particular, I think, is taking what corners of his left foot at the moment, which is a very Santi Cazorla style thing. Um, but, you know, I, I see what you mean. Tommy Asu has cleared balls well with his left foot. Has he done too much passing his left foot? He plays that side for Japan. I can't say I've watched loads um, playing there. Um, 
I, I think you, I, th- I, I think it's a, a good trait to have. I think it's someone, especially in a defender, because then they can play in uh, of kind of Tommy Asu style. It means they can play right, left, or in the middle. So maybe slightly harsh. Maybe slightly harsh. As Zach says, he's five star weak foot in FIFA though. That's well, all that, that settles it then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's all that, that settles it. Um, Tom, are you playing FIFA this year? No, no, I'm not. I didn't play last year either. Um, I just, I just never get a chance. Like, yeah. I, the year yeah. before last, I bought it and I must have played it three times. And so I went to buy it this uh, last year. Mm. And I was literally, I remember I was in a shop and I was on the phone to a mate just coincidentally as I was in the shop. And I said, I'm about to buy FIFA. And he was like, what for, man? Like, you're not going to play it. Like, yeah. grow up a bit. Like, and it, it kind of, <laughs> I, it, I kind of thought to myself, yeah, you know what? I'm a dad of two. Maybe I should knock yeah. this on the head. But I am tempted to dip back into it. Um, base of the midfield, Tom. Sambi Laconga? Uh Yes, yes, he's there. The rest parte eh? doesn't need to play in this game. Although it wouldn't surprise me if he did play because, you know, he's always pushing Arteta apparently to play games. So you never know. Interesting. Um, this is where I had trouble. So I've got one of my eights, but not okay. the second one. So I've, I'm going to put Fabio Vieira in there. Mm. Um, I guess in the role that I would play Odegaard in normally. Yeah. I'm not playing Odegaard. That's my spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he played a couple of times on international duty. He was a fitness doubt going into that as well. Who else plays in that midfield for you? Because I, I know who my wingers are. I know who my mm. striker is. Mm. But I can't quite put my finger on who should play. I've got Xhaka there, personally. Okay. I, I just think he's a monster. Like I just think he can play. Like, I just think he just mm. can play every game. And I don't think there's too much of an issue. Like You can always bring him off for a, you know, a Matt Smith or... A, uh, someone off the bench, like I just think he can play. Yeah, I would just play Xhaka there, not without too much of a problem. Yeah, I mean, I would have probably said, I know he's not the same type of profile player, but I would have said, can we get away with with maybe Emil Smith Rowe in there? If yeah, he was fit, mm. you know, El Nenny would be an option if he was fit, and then maybe Lokonga oh, could yeah. play as an eight. But I think, given our current options, I, th- I think that's that's probably the only way to go really. And when you think about the the sort of robustness, if you want to use that term, of our players. Xhaka mm-hmm. is right up there in terms of durability. Yeah, you can't yeah. imagine him being, you know, exerted an awful lot in this fixture, hopefully, anyway. Hmm. You would think, wouldn't you? But, I mean, his new role does cause him to run a hell of a lot more than he was doing previously. So, maybe we've not yet seen him tested as much playing two games a week in this style of role. So, maybe that will see him come undone I think Smith Rowe's injury is absolutely so annoying because he could have played I think with Vieira in some of these games in a midfield too uh, and show what we could do more creatively from that position but it it sucks it is what it is but uh, I think Jack is the most sensible choice yeah I agree with that I agree with that uh, okay front three who have you got for us I've got Marquinhos on the right and Ketia on the left and Jesus in the middle Jesus in the middle. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> I just think okay. we can play him. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, I, and as I say, I, I, I rate Bud a glimpse and I think that they are a decent side. So I think we're going to need to score. And I would just like to give the opportunity for Jesus to score more goals. If he's confident in goal scoring, it's only good for us. So, yeah, that's my front three. I know some people would put Nelson in. Did you put Nelson in? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I just don't, I, I just don't really see the point other than rest. That's the only reason. I don't particularly think he's good enough. Like I, I thought he was okay on loan with Feyenoord last season. 
I think his time at Arsenal's come to an end. I don't know what putting minutes into him is really that beneficial for, other than just rest for another player. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Like, I think if you don't, if you don't think that he's got a future at Arsenal, then mm. kind of what's the point? Yeah. Um, and so I get all of that. Interesting, he was on the bench at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just let me just put this in a poll. Uh, what would your front three be versus Bodo? Uh, so we've got my option is Enketia, Nelson, Nelson, yeah, Nelson, and Marquinhos. Um, and you've gone with Jesus, Enketia, Marquinhos, and Marquinhos, and that's with Enketia playing from the left, right? Yes, because he's he comes off the bench and plays that role quite a lot. So it's not yeah. it's not an alien position to him. You could even move Jesus to the left if you wanted. Both of them are capable of playing. And I think that to be honest, if you do start them both, they probably will interchange. Um so yeah, it's not an issue. Cool. Uh people start voting on that in the chat box and uh and uh, let us know what your thoughts are. We'll just quickly uh, share our predictions on the game. Uh, and then we'll come back to that poll and see where we're at and make that mm. decision based what well, you guys make the decision, essentially. Uh, so, Tom, prediction. Arsenal versus Bodo Glimt in the Europa League group stage under the lights at Emirates Stadium coming up tomorrow night. Uh, 4-2 is my prediction. 4-2. I'd be disappointed if we conceded two goals to them. Yeah, like they're just chaotic. Like They're just, as I say, they're very leadsy. So I can just see it being quite high scoring. Uh, it might end up being a 1-0 ball. Um but yeah, I'm going for 4-2 in this one. Plus, we've got a lot of changes, you know, from a team that's settled. So they, you don't know how it's going to necessarily work with a back four that's not ever started. That back four's never played together. So, and we've got a goalkeeper in Turner that hasn't played in a while as well. So yeah, I, I can see them scoring. So 4-2. Yeah, and I quite like the fact that I didn't want to play Jesus and, and I still probably on the balance of it mm. don't want to. But I quite like the idea of having, you know, Tommy Asu, who you can trust, Tierney, Xhaka, you know, Vieira's been great as well. Uh, I like the idea of having a few senior players in there that are, you know, probably able to drag the team over the line if they need it. Um, And and us securing that qualification, because in a weird way, not playing PSV the first time around, if we beat Bodo twice and, and PSV drop points, which they could, then all of a sudden you end up in a really strong position. And I think it's so important that we avoid that extra round in the Europa League by finishing second. Because if we win the group, we essentially then don't have to look at the Europa League again, I think until March, mm. um, which is pretty nice. It's a good position to be in. And then we can focus on other things as well. Obviously, the FA Cup starts in January. Uh, you're going to have the League Cup stuff as well. We kick off against Brighton on November 9th. I think tickets are out for that, by the way. If people are interested, I know a lot of people have been asking me, over the last few days, season ticket holders had until yesterday, 5 p.m. to buy their seats. And then I think they go on sale. So, mm. yeah, do check that out. Um, OK, let's see what the poll is saying. My prediction uh, is a 3-0 Arsenal win. Um, I-, I hope we won't concede. Uh, OK, in terms of the front three, 71% have gone with Enketia, Nelson and Marquinhos. I think that's largely because they're fearful of... Me, um, you know, the idea of Gabriel <laughs> Jesus picking up some kind of problem, yeah, yeah going I know. into the game against yeah. Liverpool. But I, I get where you're coming from, Tom. I really do. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I'm not surprised to see it that way. You know, I, I, I do think that potentially there is an element of underestimating 
uh, but a glimpse uh, in that. I, I don't think there's enough quality in that front three to do the job. I just don't. Yeah, I, I don't, and I don't even disagree with you. I, for what it's worth, I'd have some of the big boys on the bench and ready to go in the event mm. that we do need to call on them. Uh, what was interesting as well at the weekend was that we were able to get some players off sort of with around about 20 minutes to go. Uh, mm -hmm. Odegaard was one of them. Um, Partey was one of them. So it gives those guys just a little bit of a boost mm. in terms of having uh, gas in the tank, hopefully for the weekend. Question yeah. for you. Yeah, go on. If that team started in a Premier League side, where would it finish in the table? Oh my God. <sighs> Not even mid-table in my opinion. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying where I'm thinking like, you know, I don't think this team is good enough to to get the job done against a team that have, you know, taken smashed Roma last season and taken points off PSV this season. I, that's, I just don't think that front three in itself is enough to, yeah. to get the job done. I, I agree with you. I think when you take mm. out, you know, a Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, the quality level drops off. I mean, Marquinhos is someone I'm excited to see, but I don't know that I'd be putting the hope and trust in him right now at this stage in his Arsenal career. I think the midfield is okay. I think the midfield is okay for this level. Um, I think the back line is maybe one short of being probably acceptable at this level as well. Mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, over the years, we've, we've proven it, I think, ourselves as a football club that we can sort of coast through the group stages while making wholesale changes. But the minute you get to what's essentially going to be uh, the next round, you, you, you've got to, you've got to mm -hmm. up it, and you've got to step it up. And probably by that point, as I say, if you if you win the group, you come back into the Europa League fold in March, and then you're in a much better position to assess where you're at in terms of the league, where you're at in terms of some of the cup competitions, and you can start to prioritise a little bit better. But at this at this moment in time, I still think we've got to focus solely, not solely, but mainly on the Premier League. Mm. And and if we can get by whilst taking risks, then then let's do it. But you, you're right, there is a risk factor in that front three, probably more than anywhere else on the pitch. Yeah, 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 agreed. Brilliant stuff, uh, Tom. Thank you so so much, mate. As always, please do let people know uh, how they can check out the Guna Talk. They can click on the title. Uh, by the way, it will take you directly over there. Give Tom a follow. Give Tom a subscribe. Make sure you vote for Tom. Uh, in the uh, FCAs as well. He'll tell you all about that now. Tom, take it away. Yeah, you can, as you said, uh, you click the link in the in the title and take you to the channel. We do live shows every morning at 8 a.m. UK time, rounding up all the news in the last 24 hours. We do reactions, we do podcasts, we do great convos with Harry as best we can when availability allows. Uh, and yeah, as Harry said, we're up for the uh, best club content creator category in the Premier League so if you want to vote for somebody drop your vote on myself there's some other really good content creators across loads of categories as well including good, our good friends Dan and, and Lee at Lee Judges TV and, and FK of course at Latte Firm are both I think they're in the best new content creator category so yeah go give them a vote it's definitely worth it and uh, we'll see what happens but thanks for your time Harry as always appreciate it mate Nice one. Thank you for coming on, mate. Uh, we'll be back very, very soon with some more Arsenal-related content. We'll be bringing you some instant reaction from Arsenal against Bodo Glimp from Emirates Stadium. And then on Friday morning, uh, we'll be looking back on that game. Friday afternoon, we will then be, of course, uh, looking ahead to that big clash with Liverpool coming up at the weekend. So plenty of content coming your way. If you're interested in some more content, some exclusive content, uh, you can visit the link in the description below. Head over to the Another Slice platform where you can find the Chronicles of Aguna Premium. Remember, you not only be supporting the podcast, 
but you'll be supporting Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital as well, to whom we're going to be making monthly donations from the members pot. Uh, so yeah, do check it out. The first 100 people to join the Another Slice platform uh, do go into two prize draws uh, and you'll have an opportunity to win your favourite Arsenal shirts as well. So uh, do check that out. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. All the best. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. 